maybe I'm in love with you. I say maybe. Maybe I'm in love with you. You put your arms around me. I'm in love with you. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Uh, today, I'm so happy to have Michael Dickman joining us via phone from Princeton, New Jersey. Michael, welcome. Welcome back to Living Writers. Thank you, T. I'm, I only wish that I were there in the studio with you. Oh, me too. Me too, Michael. Well, or better yet, on what I take it is a snowy day, that we were coming at everyone live from a corner booth at the Old Town. <laughs> With a pint or two. <laughs> that, you know what, I think what you're talking about is is a dream that should be made a reality, you That's, know? Yeah, living with better planning, <laughs> I could be there right now. Exactly. And if Living Writers was maybe, like, rolling in, in, the, in the dough or whatever. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so could, absolutely. I, I, Once you have backing yes. from the current administration, Wait, oh, oh, yeah. it'll, it'll <laughs> or, just be great. Actually, maybe just, yeah. Maybe some future, future administration, right? We'll um, see. <laughs> but it's it's so good to hear you back, and thanks for being game um, to talk on the radio again, Michael, because you're you're a friend of the show, a pal of the podcast, and um, and today we're talking about your latest book of poems out with Knopf, Days and Days. Right. Um, so thanks, yeah, thanks for joining us via phone, um, and it's a it's a pink princess phone, I hear. It's pink. It's a pink AT&T princess phone, you know, from, you know, the 80s. <laughs> where, where did you find that? I found it in my wife's childhood. It's her <laughs> phone. It's from the Phoebe files? It's from the Phoebe Noble files, <laughs> and she doesn't go anywhere without this phone. Well, I believe it. I, I, I can, you know, it's, it's an artifact that um, needs to be in the world, and I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's there with you in New Jersey. It's great. It feels good to talk on it. <laughs> um, Michael, before we start talking um, about your poems, about your writing, about days and days, um, I just wanted to do a, a, a thank you um, to everyone out there, to listeners, um, WCBN uh, community members, because last week was our fundraiser, and uh. I wanted to thank folks for calling in last week. Um, Harry Freed, um, Stephanie and Baby Linden, um, Sally Hetzel, a.k.a. Mom, <laughs> Amanda and Frank Yuli, um, who will be at the helm of of summer living writers again this coming summer um so stay tuned for that everyone the liz called in from dc george and joanne cooper called in and george is is um the friend of the show who um who who lets us use his song um maybe um by home george is our theme song um and i wanted to say thanks to the phone operators and djs extraordinaire uh, from last week week zoo jada um sue um also thanks to sam and tex thanks also to Jason and Reverend Andrew, who are part of the Living Writers Extended Family, and um, and I meant to mention them, and I'm so happy to see um, Gina Brandolino back behind the glass for today's um, show, Engineering, um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening, and thanks um, 
And thanks, Michael, for being like making Living Writers what it is by being part of it today. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say by being alive. Oh, well, yes. And I was going to say, I'm just doing my best <laughs> to well, be alive. Well, you know that. Al- al- although T, just, you know, I mentioned the old town and I'll, I promise to stop this line of thought, but. You know, a, a different show might be called Drinking Writers. And it would just be <laughs> us drinking um, and talking. You know, that feels like it could be the next iteration. Definitely. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> it might be a more, it might be in some ways an, a very honest show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, not that's that, right. But I'll I actually, try to be honest even as far away as Princeton, New Jersey. Right. And you've got, you told me you have water and coffee. I do. I have water. I have coffee. I have a babysitter. For the kids, I'm all set. I think right now I'll just do, before we move on, and I'm going to read your bio, which will take us a long time. But um, just kidding, Michael. Yeah, it's very, it's le- very, it's very lengthy. But but a shout out to Phoebe and to Augie and to Mavis. Um, oh, good. So the, your, your family there. Um, and okay, so Days and Days, um, out last year with Knopf, and now for the bio. Michael Dickman was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, Michael. So what do, you want, what do you want to, what, what should we add to that? That's I love it. all you need to know. I had a, not an argument. I had a conversation with my brilliant editor uh, at Knopf, Deborah Garrison, who's an amazing, amazing person. And she said, you know, you should... The bio should be longer. People want to know about you. And I said, Deb, A, no one wants to know about me. And it all, I have a thing about bios where I feel like um, it doesn't matter (laughs) in relationship to the poems in the book. Right. If that. If that makes sense. It makes total sense. And then some of it, you know, people's bios will say, oh, they, you know, won some prizes, but. Prizes don't matter, or you know, they teach at a certain place, and I, I feel like I have an allergy to that. <laughs> um, I, you know, I well, I hear you, I do, and and um, I'm glad you're bucking uh, convention. You know, but, but but I will. I'll tell you. You know, I grew up um, in the Pacific. Nor- I grew up in Portland, Oregon, um, in the '70s and '80s and '90s. And um, and lived there for most of my life, and then you know, like uh, many of us do, moved around a little bit, and, and now through some series of accidents and clerical errors, I've been teaching at Princeton University for um, <laughs> eight years now. It's been eight years now. Yeah. Incredible. Well, because speaking of awards, like you did, so you went there on like the the Hotter Fellowship. I, I yeah. if I'm remembering this right, Michael. That's right? right, the Hotter Fellowship. Which which was which was great. So there's different times when these these awards and fellowships have like um, they've like they made that move happen, right? It's it's true, and and that was an amazing thing to get the Hotter Fellowship is a fellowship for any artist, usually someone who is sort of early in their career, as we say these days. And, um, you know, m- more or less, they just pay you for a school year to make make art, whether it's poetry or dancing or film or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, it was an amazing thing to receive. And, and then you actually kind of 
caught the fever with, with teaching writing. So you teach writing poems. I do. I teach in the creative writing department at Princeton University with a group of amazing people. And I teach both intro and so-called advanced <laughs> poetry workshops, as well as working with thesis students who are making a manuscript towards a creative writing certificate is, is basically the job. <laughs> that's, that's, so, so you're around a lot of, um, um, like curious and, um, and st- like wonderful, I was going to say like striving, but I can't, I don't know about that, but like you're working with great students and, yes. and, um, and I think I just, I can remember when you came to NELP, the New England literature program, you and Phoebe came, it's just like, uh, I've seen you in action a little bit teaching and I feel like your students are lucky. You know what? They're so lucky to have <laughs> me. Yeah, nice. They, I'm going to tell them that tomorrow. <laughs> well, you can tell them I said it. I'll tell them T said you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, I I love it, and and I'm surprised um, in a way at how much I love it because I I myself was a terrible student, hated <laughs> school. It took me, you know almost three times as long as it ought to to get an undergraduate degree and um, all that kind of thing. So I'm very, I'm happily, uh, pleasantly surprised uh, at, at, at how much I enjoy teaching. And um, it's not a drag. It's re- I, like, I feel like it fe- there's, a, um, there's reciprocity yeah. between my teaching and then making my own strange little poems. And so I feel like it's a great, it's a great, you know, um, it's a good work, you know, great work if you can get it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> well, and, and you, you mentioned like, well, you alluded to your, your own, your own like path through school. Um, isn't it, wasn't one of the books that you eventually wrote with, with Matthew, your brother, Matthew Dickman, also a poet, um, uh, was it like the 50 American plays? Was that yes. based on yeah. an assignment that you needed to quick produce? Yes, it was in that was actually in graduate school. My brother Matthew Dickman, who, as you said, is a poet, um, he and I wrote a book of plays together called 50 American Plays that Copper Canyon Press put out. And it was, I had um, my secondary thesis was in playwriting and it was due and I had not written a play <laughs> and the idea of writing, it was due literally like the next day and the idea of like writing a full length, you know, well-made play made me want to take a nap for a very long time and, and uh, my brother and I, we had just been reading a lot of Kenneth Koch plays and poems because he had just passed away. And so Matthew came up with the idea of writing a short one-page play for every state. And so we split them up between each other, and we each wrote 25, plus a play for Puerto Rico and a play for Guam. Because we're very uh, accepting people. (laughs) And and then that's what I turned in. Um, But I didn't put his name on it then, only later. Only later. (laughs) But this is an amazing story, because it's like, I think it's... It's, it's, it's kind of wild and amazing the ways that poets make or the way work can kind of start coming into the world. Sure. And, and sometimes maybe it's, it's like 
from this <laughs> this um, forced um, requirement to create, yeah, uh, and and the given circumstance that you'd you know like the 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 co like the um, the poet I mean and <laughs> yeah right yeah so I don't know and then I mean and, if Coke had not died who knows what would have happened to that play but but it's but but you're right T I mean like I feel like. I don't know. I'm obsessed with like reading these like Paris Review interviews with writers. Oh yeah. And I'm always amazed at the people who who it seems like they have everything together and it's very sort of clear and kind of clean like the process. But my experience and I think this is I like to think that it's more true for more people than not is that making a poem or anything else how it gets made is much more chaotic and um, full of happenstance and accident uh, than we probably give it credit for. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, why do you like to think that? Like, why is that like a... Like, I why mean, do you part of that? it is just because um, I want to feel good about how I make things, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like I read an interview once with Seamus Heaney where Heaney said, um, all theory is autobiography, and I thought that was really good. Um, but, I mean, I would like to think that, that um, well, we all just, you know, we all would like to think that we're not alone, you know, in the yes. universe yeah. uh, uh, for various reasons. And, um, and, uh, and so uh, I find that I'm also sometimes drawn to people who seem like me have maybe a chaotic kind of um, process to make art. And, and you said Seamus... Heaney had said the fury is the autobiographical undertone. Yeah. Fury. He said, I forget who he was talking about, but it was, um, but yeah, it was some, you know, uh, he said that all theory, like if you have a personal theory about something, it's secretly just your own autobiography. Oh, theory. Thank you for clarifying. Theory. Yeah, for some theory. Reason. Like uh, Outlook. Um. <laughs> Thank you. I was hearing, and this says more about me than it does about <laughs> you, Michael Dickman, the word fury, like fury road or so. So oh, I'm glad yeah. that well, you see, clarified it to be And now we're halfway theory. to the beginning of a poem, <laughs> just by accident and, and mishearing, I think. <laughs> I think so. Let's take a short break, and then we'll come back today. Maybe we'll finish the poem, Michael. Um, sure. Today on Living Writers, Michael Dickman joins us via phone, a Princess AT&T phone at that, um, from Princeton, New Jersey, today. Uh, I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Gina behind the glass. We'll be back.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm so glad you did. Today on Living Writers, Michael Dickman joins us via phone um, from Princeton, New Jersey. And um, and we're talking about, and we, well, we will be talking about, Michael's poem, poems collection, Days and Days. Uh, Michael, thanks for choosing the songs for today's program. Oh, sure. And I think we just heard Wimps repeat. Yeah. Why that one? Why not? I love, well, I just, I mean, I love um, everything uh, that they make, and that song in particular, um, you know, I, I love, I find that I'm, I love a certain type of uh, pop punk sound, mm. I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and, that's, and, and that sort of fits the bill. For that, you know, um, there's another band I really like that sound, does a little bit of this kind of work. Parquet Courts. I don't know if you know them out of New York City, and they have like a great sort of cover of these boots were made for walking that sound <laughs> a little similar. Um, but uh, yeah, Ooh, I um, listen to a lot of different kinds of things, and that's you know that's one of them. Yeah, I think, and it'll be. It definitely also feels like, you know, in a sense to me, like a. Pacific Northwest sound. I don't know if the wimps oh, are from sure. there or, or, um, for, yeah, I don't know. Are the wimps, where are they from? Do you know? They, uh, yeah, I think they're from Seattle actually. Ah, uh, okay. Great. And in fact, another, I think if you'll probably play something by dead moon and they're from Portland. Oh, excellent. Well, let's, let's talk about the Pacific Northwest a sure. little bit. Um, because it also, it, it figures into, well, place strongly figures into your book, Days and Days, the poems in, in your book. Um, but I feel, and, I, and, and Michael, I, if this is wrong, please say, but I feel like you're, the book moves through across time and also across places. Sometimes we, we might be in the Pacific Northwest and, and the natural world there, or sometimes we might be in, in Michigan or per- potentially even in New Jersey. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It does do that. And, um, I mean, the Pacific Northwest, that place, especially, <clears throat> pardon me, Portland, Oregon, and especially Southeast Portland, where, where I grew up, um, that is where my brain goes for place in a poem, just automatically. Um, no matter where I am, uh, you know, whether I'm in New Jersey or Michigan or wherever, that's where I go to just automatically and first. But it's true that, like, different different landscapes and different flora and fauna from those places do show up, and some of them are, um, you know, from, like, northern Michigan even. Um, and then some of them are from, you know, this very uh, kind of eerily bucolic a suburban yeah. neighborhood of, of Princeton, New Jersey, where I live now. And so the, the poems, you know, skip around. And although I couldn't point out one exactly right now as I say this, I realize, but sometimes even within a poem, it'll, it'll jump around well, also. Well, I think um, the, the longest poem in Days and Days, liver, uh, livers, I'm sorry, lakes, rivers, and streams. Yeah. Um, this, this poem... Lakes, rivers, and streams. I, I think this goes covers all of the the places that you just mentioned. You're right. It does. I mean, there's certainly room for it. It's really long, but it does. It jumps around. Um, 
it jumps around from place to place for sure. So can you talk about a little bit about because this poem is it's like it's a it's it's a long one. It it could even be in a way it's its own book. Yeah. Um, so could like how did this come to be? <laughs> and, and I, and I mean, th- so a couple things, you know, I mean, it came to be partly one morning, and I should say this is rare for me because I am usually the last one up, but I was up very early one morning before anyone else in the house was up, and I was uh, in the living room with just one lamp on um, with a little coffee and heard a sound and just started to write um, a little tiny poem, which is how Lakes River Stream starts with that. And then um, I started to write more of these little seven-line things. And I thought, well, I'll just um, I'll keep writing them until uh, it's not fun to do it anymore. And, and mm-hmm. so I did it for a while, like almost a year, writing these things. And then, um, and then you know, sort of mixed them around and, and felt like that there were um, images and language in these little poems that were sort of calling to each other. And so collected them in this longer, um, longer poem. With a title that I felt was very forgiving <laughs> to to what was in the poem, um, in how the things sort of drift around. Yes, if that makes any yes. sense at and, all. Well, because it's it's calling upon the movement of of the water, right, to be part of it, like the and the expansiveness um, of that movement's possibility, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. Um, I also like, you know, lakes, rivers, and streams also, um, I mean, I like uh, all three of those things as places um, to spend time, but also, um, you know, big things, smaller things, even smaller things. I, I, one of the things that I like about writing a poem, or at least the poems that I make, is really trying to um, sometimes look at something really closely and felt like um, there was room in that poem to try to do that sometimes. And so, so looking at something really closely. Yeah. It's, I think that definitely is clear across all of your work. Like this, um, this, this clear, like this, this, even this, um, as a reader, this experience of, um, knowing that you're, you're reading a, a writer who's, who's alive with all the senses and who's observing um mm. even i mean when we, in the past when we've talked we've talked about your your notebook um right as well and like how how you are when you're observing it's just like a natural i don't know go to for for you to put fragments in your notebook is that That's still your way of working michael or how is it now it is, you know, I, I feel like it's sort of, a, um, maybe it's kind of a common thing, but yeah, I have, you know, I have so many of these tiny little notebooks, and um, and I have them with me all the time. I mean, it's not like in the middle of class or a conversation with a friend, I, I excuse myself <laughs> to like write down, but I, uh, they're near at hand, and um, and I'll write down 
if, you know, um, a little piece of language occurs to me, sometimes a line, usually not, usually just something even smaller than that, then I'll, I'll write it down. And these things still, as they used to, uh, you know, this kind of way of working may not last for very long or ever, but for now anyway, then these little pieces kind of like, some of them will start to feel connected. Um, and, and then from those, I'll make a, a draft of something. And, but then the notebooks also have, like, admonishments, <laughs> you know, to me, like, uh, write, like, uh, there'll be little notes in it that say things like, um, don't use the word light, or, you know, um, it'll say, like, um, uh, you know, it'll have instructions, like, write a poem called Burnside, which is the name of a street in Portland, and that's it, just an idea, you know, um, and then I may do that, or may not at some point, but that's kind of how the notebooks, the notebooks work. And, and when you're, so do you also, because you talked about, like, that, that, that rare morning when you were, you, you know, you, it's not maybe your everyday practice to get up early and to yeah. write that way. Um, no. but, but when you like, do you have some kind of practice and do you sometimes like open up the notebook and, and maybe look at one of your instructions or, or just a fragment to start I, with? I do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a, I mean, my so-called practice is just to write whenever I can. Um, and sometimes that will mean, you know, I have 5 or 10, 20 minutes. And sometimes it'll mean I have, you know, part of an entire day. Um, but there's no, I don't have like a place uh, that I sit at every day and I, I don't write every day. And um, or a certain time time of day, it could be in the morning, it could be at night. I'm not um, picky, tea, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And then I will. I these notebooks. Um, I'll open them up and start using the material in them to make a to make a draft of something. Absolutely. And so, would you? Um you mentioned that you you started writing like the first of what became Lakes River Streams. Did that happen to stay the first part of the the poem itself, how it opens? It, or it did. Not? So yeah, it did. The opening of the poem is a version of the first thing that I wrote, which is actually kind of rare because often I tend to write things. <clears throat> there are some shorter things in days and days, but I tend to write things that are um, uh, sequential in parts. Yes. And those parts, as you would read them, aren't necessarily, they weren't necessarily written in that order. Mm -hmm. um, but it's true that with Lakes, Rivers, Streams, the first, like, um, let me take a look here. I mean, definitely the first one. Could you read it, Michael, before we go to break? The first sure, one. yeah. Here's the first, the first part. It's seven lines, and it says... Lakes, rivers, streams. Fish tap, tap, tap on the roof. Water rushes by through the living room into the kitchen late night. And look, someone thought to load the dishwasher. A lamp is on in the other room. Two lamps. Lamp rays swirl in a bucket from last night's dream. 
I had wanted to dream about birds, and all I got were these eels. Who could I call to ask what to do? <laughs> Thank you. And so that's the, that's the opening of the poem, and that's basically more or less what I wrote that, that morning. I, I, I love that it also feels somewhat, it feels very rooted and specific um, because of maybe the senses that you're, the, that you're calling upon. But it's, uh, it also feels surreal, like water rushes by through the living room. It's like a dreamscape and then you name that there's a dream even that you wanted to dream but didn't. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, and at the time, I usually, uh, this is a surprising Thing for to happen to me, but um, uh, also uh, at the time I was half asleep anyway. Anyway, you know, um, and so maybe sort of in between worlds a little bit. Oh, the best way to write. Let's we'll, we'll take a short break and then we'll come back. We'll talk more and hear more poems from Michael Dickman today on Living Writers. Days and days. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, so happy you did. Today, Michael Dickman is here joining us via phone from New Jersey. His book, Days and Days, out with Knopf. Uh, we just heard Chet Baker, Let's Get Lost. Uh, Michael, thanks for choosing the songs. Oh, um, sure. Get, like you said, you listen to many different things. I do. I, lo I love Chet Baker. <laughs> I mean, I, I listen to a lot of different stuff, and but probably... The most of the stuff I listen to tends to be American jazz music from the late 40s and the 50s and the early 60s. And Baker fits in there. And um, I love how he sounds. And um, I also love his singing voice, which is maybe an acquired taste, but there's something very sort of stripped down and cool uh, about it, about both those things, both how he plays trumpet, but also uh, also his voice. So if you were going to have a, like if you were going to DJ, have a radio show, that would be your, that would be your, your wheelhouse, that would be your, your time. It would, that would be it. And then every once in a while, I would play like a Dead Kennedy song right. or The Wimps or like, you know, some sort of uh, The Minutemen or something. <laughs> Right. Well, okay. So days and days. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about um, the, the longest poem in the book, Lakes, Rivers, and Streams, uh, like we were, we were talking about right before the break. Um, it seems, so I, I love the idea that it started because you were writing these seven line poems and you thought, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it. And, and then it seems like these, these poems are um 
like they're they they start to have things in common because mm-hmm. you know the many of them are asking questions like the the first one that we got to hear before the break ends in a question and right. by by the the I think the third one is yeah so there's questions you also use um uh different types of uh like like a structure um uh, I'm I'm thinking like to show the interconnected in the interconnectedness <laughs> that's a hard one to say <laughs> like like the phrase floats by another um, yeah. Just upstream from. Yeah. When did you start finding these, and how how did you then decide or open up to to have them at at, at play in this line? I mean, poem? those I, those lines just came. Up, I mean, I won't even remember be able to find like the first one, but there, but yeah, throughout this longer poem, there's like something will float by something else, or we will find ourselves just upstream from a couple different things. Um, like, you know, at some point a box of Huggies diapers and, you know, something else. And, um, then there's this other kind of like, um, uh, syntactical structure of, uh, um, the word ditto, um, shows up in it also. And, um, those seemed, I won't even be able to say why, which is not very interesting, but um, <laughs> those seemed repeatable uh, in a way. Like, they seemed like a way to also, in something that could very easily get away from me and become too ungainly, um, also a way to, like, keep track of time or to have almost a, a kind of rhyme between something you read on page Five of the poem and something you read on page 50 of the poem Yes, um, that could feel like it kind of keeps the thing held um, afloat, no yes. pun intended, like, but can keep it, you know, so to keep it together um, by having some things that repeat. Yeah. And, and it's also um, a, like, for example, I'm, I'm not sure if this is definitely the first time it comes in, um, but I, but one of the first ones that I noticed was a dog floats by another dog. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that might be when, but then, and then after that, that's when I started seeing, oh, this is, this is a thread that's right. through here. And there was this, and, but it's always curious, it's a curious thing because the, um, like an earwig then floats by another earwig. Right. Um, which I just have to just, I wanted to talk about it. I'm sorry. I'm partial to earwigs because you don't get to see them in poems often. How did the earwig, do you, do you remember? I can, let's see, page 67. Do you have your book with you I there, do. Michael? Okay. Everyone out there, turn to page 67 <laughs> in your copy yeah, I have it here. Kids curled up on the coating. An earwig floats by another earwig. Should I read the rest? Maybe. Do you want to? Sure. Well, here, yeah. Here, well, guess, uh, yeah. Here's or the maybe. whole section. Okay. Kids curled up on the coating. An earwig floats by another earwig. The day listens to traffic moving off in two directions at once like standing in a spring shower. Flowers appear without warning. And whom do we have to thank for this delicious lunch? These petty fours, that one and only glass of milk. Hmm. So there we have like 
like the, the questions at work as well. Um, and I don't know, is there, so how? <laughs> um, I'm noticing now, actually, T looking at this, I'm noticing there are a lot of questions in this poem. I think it's because I don't know anything. And I'm really hoping, truly, that someone will answer these questions for me. Completely. I know what you mean, Michael. I feel the same. But also, I, I want to argue with you a little bit, because what lakes, um, rivers, and streams also does is then it seems like there's these epiphanies or these moments of, like, just such like clarity um i'm gonna i'm gonna find a couple um like and some of them are lines like skateboards on the macadam or um then they were here um like and that's on page 64 for everyone following along and then and then on 65 the day was moving off somewhere hard to see the the day was both like the day was both Hmm. like it was just and then um I just, I love, like, this is the earth, and sometimes the earth changes color, and that's 58. So there's these moments of real, like, um, like 54, something opens in the day, and you step right through, mm. which, seems, which seems, like, rem- remarkably different when, in the, the flow of how this poem is moving, when you come to them. And then, then there's an earwig floating by an earwig. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, yeah, I, it's a funny, it's a poem that, um, w- where possibly a lot is happening at, at once. I mean, I've talked to a couple people who have read it and, um, or I should say no, no person I've talked to who has read this long poem, Lakes of Dreams, had the same experience. With uh, the poem, yeah, which may be true. I mean, in some way, I guess that's true of anything we might all read. Um, that it would be different, you know, on every time you came across it. But at any rate, yeah. Well, and okay, and uh, you know what? I'm sorry that I suddenly became the one reading your poem instead of you. I'm happy. You, you know, reading I have it, this Michael. dream that I might. I, I, oh. Are you oh, okay? Yes. Are you? Can you hear us still? Okay. I can. Okay. Um, What's your dream, Michael? My dream is that um, I had a dream that I had to give a reading, and I didn't want to do the reading. And instead of me doing a reading, the person reading my poems was the actor and playwright Wallace Shawn. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and that was my dream. I had a real dream. And then I told my friend and colleague, the fiction writer A.M. Holmes, about this dream. And she said, I'll call Wally. I think he would do it. <laughs> and then I got very shy, you know, which is often true when your dreams might come true. Is You know, you back away from them. So when is but, this happening, Michael? I don't know. Maybe sometime in the future. I'll let you know. But this is all to say I would happily sit here and listen to you read my poem. <laughs> Well, that's good. Or or Wally Sean. Um, or Wally Sean. If, if if he's listening, or if um, okay. So with this, I want to keep talking about lake, rivers, and streams before, because I feel like once we move into the other part of the book, um, the gig is up for some reason. I don't know why. Because <laughs> um, there's, well, okay. You right before that, we were talking about the experience, and I think in lake, rivers, and streams. Um, I feel like what you've 
done with this particular poem, and maybe like what you said, Michael, earlier, is it's it's the work of every poem, but it's like you're creating this experience for the reader of occupying, maybe walking around in with this kind of this sensibility or this like aliveness to how everything is interconnected or you know that thing where people will jokingly say oh poets think everything's connected uh-huh. or you, you, you know and yeah. this this poem is kind of a way of giving someone that experience in part because of the 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 how you work with images, like the imagistic quality of, but, but also because of these structural things, I believe that you built into it. Like some of those, like just mm. up the stream or like, or the, um, floats by or, or these other things where I don't, I don't know. What do you think? I guess that was my sense of it. I, I mean, wanted to ask I mean, you about part that. of that. I'd be very happy, um, to think, um, that at least that part of what you're saying, I mean, to, to, I would be very happy to think that someone reading this poem might feel that they are, in fact, ex- not reading about something but experiencing something. Yes. If that makes any sense. You know, yes. I mean, I, I like the idea, um, not that I've been able to do it in these poems necessarily, but the idea of you know, that the poem itself is not about anything. The poem is not there to explain or describe something, that the poem is a thing. And it's it's there to be itself. Um, I mean, this is now kind of like a, a little uh, woo-woo, but um, just to say that, like, that there's more at stake in a poem than a pretty description of something. Yes or of some sort of revelation um, or any sort of shade of politics that you might choose, like that that the poem itself um, is possibly its own living, uh, breathing thing and its own reason for being. Yes. Um, Yes. So there. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's right. (laughs) I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I think you're right. Um, cause that, and that feels like something that, well, I mean, people can have, poets have different reasons for writing poems, right? Sure. Um, but it feels like to me, with, with a little bit of what I know about like how, your, your work, um, is that that's actually, that's what you want is like, that's what you're looking to find. Like once you started making poems, when you started writing them first, when you were in high school, after like falling in love with Pablo Neruda's captain's Mm. verses or, but, but trying to find like, like some, what was alive in what you could make into these, into something that is. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I wish that, um, I feel like, I don't know. It's yeah. Thanks for, thanks for saying that. Uh, I, yeah, sometimes I wish we could beam this out so that, um, we could all see each other's faces as either we're talking or we're listening to this, you know, um, uh, you know, as you're kind of grasping it at ideas sometimes. 
So, so the end of the poem, I don't think it's like a, a deal breaker, but the last line in livers, uh, I keep saying liver, geez, maybe that's gonna... <laughs> I think Maybe it should be called like, you know, <laughs> livers, hearts, and spleens or something. <laughs> okay, exactly. You write that one. And I'll, I'll write a sonnet about livers. Okay. Um, but, but the last line <laughs> um, is, in the morning, the kids come running down the stairs. Yeah. And, and, and it's the last line of this, and it's also the last line of Days and Days, the book itself. Right. Why is it important that this is last? Well, um, it's important that it's last. It, well, it may not be important at all, but um, it became the last line of Lakes, River, Streams because I wrote it, that line down in one of my little notebooks, and I thought, and I and I had written a lot of these, and then I wrote that line, and I suddenly felt, that's it. I don't, uh, I don't want to write any more of these. I don't have anything else to say in this poem. This is how this world ends, <clears throat> which is the, these kids running down the stairs. And it was just like a, I just felt suddenly like there wasn't anything else I wanted to know about the poem or try to figure out, but, you know, by writing in the poem. Thanks, Michael. And so then I thought, well, that I thought, well, this is it. You know, like I said, like I, I thought I'd like, write these things as long as it was fun, and it was really fun. And and then I wrote that line, and I thought, oh, that's it. Like I saw something, I recognized something in that line for me that said, um, that's that's all that there is for this poem. And I love it because in the for this poem, what it means is the world of the poem is ending because another world is then starting. Michael, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back. Great. Today on Living Writers, Michael Dickman joins us via Princess AT&T phone uh, from New Jersey. Uh, we're talking about his book, Days and Days. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Michael Dickman is here. His book of poems, Days and Days. Um, Michael, thanks for talking today, by the oh, way. Oh, sure. I'm so happy to get to talk to you, T. <laughs> I'm so happy to get to talk to you, Michael, and, and to get, yeah, to get to read this book. Um, I hope, yeah, I love this book, Days and Days. It's a book, like, it's, when I read it, at home or on the bus or at the office it's um it you kind of you i was able to be in the world immediately of what mm. was happening and oh um, that's nice to hear and it's yeah i've i've got to say it i love your poems michael dickman um okay so 
Days and Days has more in it, <laughs> has a whole part, like a whole first part of the book. Sure. Um, LRS is is um, takes up um, the end section of the book, um, and and the lead poem is called Butterfly Days, um, which is something that the the cover picked up on as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Do you want to like why is this the lead poem in the book and and I think the book is for for Mavis. It is, yeah. It's um, well, you know, butterfly days. I just I, w- I started writing a couple poems um, about uh, not about anything, but seemed to be around hotels and then w- around watching television. And I, I also I love butterflies <laughs> and um, and had uh, written a couple poems. Um, that attempted to describe kind of of butterflies or their lives or something in another book. And the residue of that, I think, uh, clearly was still yes. with me. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why, um, that's why butterfly, uh, butterfly Days. Um, and then there's a poem called TV Days and a poem called Prescription Days, which is partly possibly about taking some prescription drugs after an ankle surgery um but possibly they they don't uh i mean they're not necessarily maybe even about events although the last one sounds like it might be but more about um or uh they try to put forward a kind of like texture of experience yeah if that makes sense yeah um I don't. I, a lot of poets that I love are able to make these sorts of poems that are like a poem about like um, changing the the oil on my car with my dad, and then you know it's like the sun is setting and he looks at me and I know that like I'll always love him or something, and um, and it's called like oil, you know, <laughs> it's like a poem like that. And I love those poems, but I can't seem to make them, and so they tend to be more of these kind of like. Uh, sensory texture kind of experiences yeah and okay and so in in this section there's also these other poems um that are titled with the same title um the poem said yeah the poem said could you talk because this is um like a title from france right yes it's my so Franz Wright was someone who I loved dearly. He, uh, you know, he's was a. If anyone listening doesn't know him, run out and read his his poems. He was a great uh, and tortured poet, um, but a great poet. And I, he was a dear friend of mine uh, toward the end of his life, like the last ten years of his life, and um, and mentor. And he has. A poem called the poem said and I always loved that title because I thought oh how great like the poem can say something and I I don't even have to be responsible (laughs) for what is being said I don't have to explain myself because it's not me it's the poem you know saying it and so I um, I wanted to write a couple po- try to write a couple poems that that work that way or did that, and so I I, I borrowed Franz's um, t- 
title, I don't think he would mind. I don't, no, I don't. There's no way to ask him, but, um, but I don't think he would mind. I miss him so much and love him and, um, and love his poems. And, you know, like a while ago, I, I got the chance to talk with him. So on Living Writers' website, if, if folks want to listen to the, the episode with Franz Wright, um, you can also you can head to the Living Writers website and check that out. Oh, good. Um, oh, yeah. Would, would you would you read Would you mind Michael reading one of the poems? Said like uh, would... yes, I would love to. Um, let's see. Uh, so this one oh, is it this one that I want to read? Yeah, because there's four of them. Aren't there's there? four of them. This one says. The poem said, perennials levitate above the yard, a perfect circle of multi-touch and mid-afternoon rainbows. They bark for treats and a scratch, soft pink paw pads, a sliding glass door. Hallucinating in the grass, everything smells different. Not my dogs, but the couch does. Weird ants in the ground cover burst into tears. Deer ferns wave from an open container, a pocket full of melatonin. If you're looking for something to do, there's always the refrigerator, a stipe in the car alarm, a scur in the kibble. Thanks, Michael. Why, why did you choose that one to read? Wait, T, say that again. Oh, did you say something? Oh, I did. Sorry. I think I whispered it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> the experience of live radio, everyone. Um, <laughs> Michael, thanks for reading that one. Why did you choose that one to read? Oh, I chose it because in some way it's probably um, the one in that series of poems called The Poem Said that is the most driven by uh, sound. Uh, maybe, and um, where the connections between things are a little more tenuous um, or jumpy. And so, um, but just as an example of, um, of something that one might say, well, the poem said this, not me, <laughs> and, and this is just what it said. And there was something really, you know, I wrote like 10 of them, and then, and then <clears throat> felt like these four were um, doing something interesting, at least to me, and um, and so yeah. So so they became part of the of days and days. Yeah, exactly. They also had things in common with other poems in days and or not in common, but at least had maybe little echoes or something um, uh, with the other poems that are in days and days. Yeah. For example, um, the, the imagery with the dogs. Right. Or, yeah. Yes. And, and the natural world is so present throughout days and days. Um, also, people come into it and there's a they perspective do. of people, but the, it feels like the, the natural world, like the flora and fauna, as you said earlier, is, is, taking, the, is, is taking the cake. <laughs> it's true. The flora and fauna have really taken over. You know, like the, my, the first book of poems that I 
published is called The End of the West. And that book is full of people. Like, it's full of family members and friends. And, um, and, and in this book, it's, there's very little. There's a kid here and there, and maybe that's about it. I don't even know. Is there a parent? There might be. But, <laughs> and there's but lots they're of- very, but anyway, there's very, there are very few. Uh, Frank O'Hara shows up um, and uh, a couple artists, but, um, but it's not peopled in the in- same way that, you know, sort of a, <clears throat> I might think of a traditional sort of narrative book of, of poems being peopled by um, friends and family and whatnot. But Michael Dickman, I'm so glad that Days and Days is the book that it is. And thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, I'm so happy to, T. We'll talk again soon. We'll talk again soon. Today on Living Writers, Michael Dickman, his book, Days and Days. I'm T. Hetzel. You've been listening to Living Writers. Thanks for that. Until next time. I'm discontented with homes that are rented, so I have invented my own. Darling, this place is a lover's oasis Where life's weary chase is unknown Far from the cry of the city Where flowers pretty caress the streams Cozy to hide in, to live side by side in Don't let it abide in my dreams Picture me upon your knee With tea for two and two for tea Me for you and you for me or hear us no friends or relations on weekend vacations we won't have it known that we own a here in the basement of the Student Activities Building for another great episode of the Daily Sports Report. I am uh, Joshua Tenzer here on 88.3 
uh, FM Ann Arbor, and I am joined here by Adam Bernstein and a first-time guest, Jared Brecker. How are you boys doing? I'm doing great. It's a bit snowy on the walk over, but I managed. I'm doing great as well. Excited for my first show. That's great. Uh, it's it's definitely gotten colder here. Yeah. It's uh, I used to make jokes about Michigan winter when it was warm as 44 degrees this weekend. <laughs> Not joking anymore. Yeah, no longer. Back so to reality. It is. So it's it's the fr- it's I'm a freshman, first real Michigan winter. You are too, right? Yeah, I'm from Los Angeles, so this oh. is this is a little different for me. I'm a sophomore, so, so you've you've I got done this before. Last year. <laughs> I had the All right. So we got 29 more minutes ahead of us. So let's get to some of the sports news. Currently, one of the biggest topics in sports is the uh, NFL CBA, the the collective bargain agreement, that would make some changes for the next 10 years of football. That would be 17 games, no extra bye weeks, so it'd be an 18 game season, uh, 18 week season. Uh, there would be 14 playoff teams. Only the top seed of each conference would get a bye. It would, uh, the players would move up in the amount of revenue they get because of the extra game. Uh, they would get somewhere between 48 and 48.5 percent of all NFL revenue, which would be the most of any American sports league, increasing overall player revenue by five billion dollars. It would reduce the amount of training camp practices from 28 to 16. It would increase the roster size from 53 to 55, and also 48 people dressed per game instead of 46. Uh, the minimum salary was for rookies would increase by $100,000. It would lessen punishments for marijuana, and off it would lessen the punishments for marijuana, 